Oh yeah, I need you to do a little okay. beat so I can keep time. Can you hear that? Yeah. That's right, y'all. Gonna dive back into the latest addition to the Batman universe, of course, directed by the great Matt Reeves. Um, as several of you probably know, although I haven't brought it up explicitly in a long time, um, I actually do have a, I have a Master's of Theology that I received from Boston College. Jeepers. <laughs> Over a decade ago now. Um, and it's it's rare that I flex those muscles anymore, but I went and saw the Batman for a fourth time today, finally doing it in IMAX. If you've not seen it in IMAX yet and you want to see this movie again, I can't recommend it enough. It's so good in IMAX. I felt like I was in the movie. Um, but that said, as I was driving home from the theater this evening, I was just like, all these thoughts were coming into my head about kind of the theological implications of this movie, whether intended to be there or not. Uh, I certainly have a lot of thoughts and ideas around the theology of this particular movie. So that's kind of what I'm going to be diving into in this particular special episode. Um, unfortunately, Jason had something come up this week, so we weren't able to do a, a normal uh, Wampusler episode. So I was like, Hey, works out fine. I have some thoughts about the Batman. I want to talk about some more. Obviously uh, I was fortunate to have my friend Amy on just a couple weeks ago and we kind of broke, broke down the movie in broad strokes, but I want to specifically look at this movie as if it were a theological text and, and kind of make some comments in that regard. So a couple quick, like things to be aware of before diving in. Um, obviously if you've not yet seen the Batman, you may want to avoid this. I'm the spoilers will be relatively minor. Um, I'm not really talking specifics of the plot, more thematic stuff. Um, but if you've not seen it and you, and you want to be completely unspoiled, you, you may want to come back after that. Um, and then obviously I'm going to be speaking about this movie from the context of Christian theology. That's what my education is in. That's what my lived experience is in. 
Um, so that's what I'm going to be kind of tackling. Uh, if that's not your cup of tea, hey, totally cool. Come back next week. Um, but uh, if, if you'd like to hear me flex some of those theology school muscles, uh, I hope you'll make this journey with me. So where better to start than in the beginning? Am I right? Good old Genesis 1-1. Um, but this movie uh, starts very, very profoundly. Something Amy and I were talking about when she was on a couple weeks ago was just how incredibly powerful the scene is when the Batman first shows up on camera, right? We've got this this kind of terrifying setup of, you know, all these shadows and these criminals at the beginning of the movie who are afraid of who exists in the shadows, which of course is the Batman. And then we finally see him appear. And the music I was just playing at the top of the episode of course, the, the score by Michael Giacchino is phenomenal. I'll be making some closing remarks about this particular score at the end of the episode. Um, but as Batman finally comes into view, he's coming out of the darkness. He's coming out of the shadows. And the music that's played, is it's, it's almost like death bells, as if um, doom and judgment has, has appeared before this band of, of criminals um, as Batman prepares to, you know, meet out his his version of justice. Um, but I just found it really visually captivating the way Greg Frazier, who, of course, was the uh, cinematographer for Rogue One. Uh, he also did the new movie Dune. He's done some Mandalorian stuff. Uh, he just like he beautifully shoots Darth Vader in the hallway in, in Rogue One, kind of backlighting the darkness to make it even look more sinister out of this darkness, Batman takes shape. Um, so like right from the beginning, this movie is, is telling us this is in a way an origin story. Now what Matt Reeves is brilliantly not doing is telling us the, the Bruce Wayne origin story again about seeing his parents get shot and, and you know, all of that stuff we've seen several times now. Um, but it is an origin story for the Batman and the Batman as a, as having a purpose. Um, so here at the beginning, um, we see him come out of the darkness. And um, of course, in Genesis chapter one, verse two, uh, we're told that, quote, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is Batman in this scene. He is hovering in the darkness and, what does he what is he coming out of the darkness to do bring order to the chaos that is flowing all around him in gotham um that's the whole that's that's the entire book of you know that's the entire first chapter of genesis is this this notion that god creates out of darkness and um obviously puts light in there and puts purpose into this sense of chaos um the ancient hebrew is making it very clear that right from the beginning, what existed before creation was sparked into being was just this chaotic darkness. So God steps into that and makes something ordered, makes something sensible. And Batman shows up at the start of this movie to do that very same sort of work is he shows up to bring order into the to the chaos of Gotham. So that was kind of the, the first thing that really struck me. I was just like, wow. You know, um, he is terrifying coming out of that darkness, but he has a purpose in the darkness. He wants to be 
where the dark forces exist so that he can, I mean, quite literally, as he does in that opening scene, beat it into submission, beat it into a sense of order. Um, and that brings up the next point I wanted to to make, which is the the reality that in this, this the first part of this movie, Batman is very clearly working out his anger. You know, he is, as we all know, he's obviously a traumatized person from the events that that have befallen him, and what he does with that with that trauma that he's experienced is he, he just holds on to the anger, the anger at, at this Gotham city around him that has hurt him so much. So he, you know, his vow is to go into this place of violence and scare the violence. Um, and you know, when we, when we think about anger, anger is always construed as something negative. Like it's not okay to be angry. Right. Like when, when you get into an argument and you, and you start getting angry about something, it's very easy for people just to be like, oh, you're angry. You know, the don't take this person seriously. But the thing is, is scripture is littered with the reality of righteous anger. Um, and the first the first and foremost char- character, I guess, if you want to consider Jesus a character, <laughs> but a character I want to bring up is obviously when Jesus goes into the temple and sees all these money changers and basically the house of God is being desecrated. So in John chapter two, verse 15, we're told Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He made a whip out of cords. Jesus was laying down some, some righteous anger and this is the thing that so many, I want to call it like this modern American Christianity. It wants to point that like being angry about broken systems is somehow problematic. Um, but the reality is, is that it's not. Um, Psalm, Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. So, right, like a lot of people like to throw on this idea, you know, oh, the Old Testament God was all fire and brimstone. And I think it's a way of trying to dismiss the fact that God gets angry. God gets angry over corrupted systems, over people taking advantage of other people or marginalizing other people. That's the stuff that pisses God off time and time again throughout Scripture. Um, and we again, we we even see that in the person of Jesus in his ministry when he sees this religious elite getting rich off of the backs of of the marginalized and the poor. Jesus steps up; he gets pissed off. So I think, in a way, when this movie opens with Batman just kicking some butt, I mean, I think part of us, if, if you if you're really being honest with yourself, part of you wants to be in that fight, just just beating up the bully, right? Like it, that's exactly what you know. That's exactly what this kind of this gang kind of represents is it's a bunch of dudes that just like to prey on other people. So who wouldn't want to step into the ring with them with Batman's gadgets and and skill and wherewithal and just kind of beat the crap out of them, right? So. Batman represents the reality that it's okay to be angry. Now, I am not in any way advocating physical violence. 
Um, but I think again, like all great stories, stories kind of throw something up on the wall um, very dramatically so that we can, we can know that experience by watching it. So again, I think the, the reality of Batman's righteous anger is he steps in to get into the face of the bullies and, and knock them down. Um, and I think again, that, that opening fight, it really, uh, it really pulls you in with the music, the, the choreography of the fight itself. I mean, it, it's, it's sloppy. It's, it's, you know, it's gutsy. Um, but Batman steps in is kind of this force of righteous anger. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that is something that's always been real for the Batman mythos is that he's angry. <laughs> he's always been angry. Um, Frank Miller, of course, the iconic comic author of uh, Dark Knight Returns, he really sunk his teeth into that into the eight in the eighties, and the fact that so many people latched onto that type of story is because there's a reality that we, as people, we get angry. Um, and, and we need to vent that anger. And that's what Batman is doing in this scene. Um, so I think like what that represents theologically is that sometimes it's, it is our place to get up and to get pissed off at bullies, to get pissed off at the the, the religious elites that marginalize people, that hurt people, that ignore people. Um, so there is that call to righteous anger. So again, I'm going to make this very clear. In no way am I advocating physical violence. Um, Batman's physical violence is almost like fantasy in a sense. Um, and... Again, like I think when we have feelings like that inside there, we need to find a way to let them out. There's a catharsis to that. And I think that's what Batman represents with the sense of his anger. Um, the next thing I want to point out is actually just something very physically on set in the movie. And it's the bat signal itself. Um, right. I think there are, there are always, there are always hard facts about what you need to include in a Batman story. Um, obviously Batman, but you need commissioner Gordon, you need a bat cave, you need Alfred. And of course you need a bat signal. Um, I love the bat signal from the dark Knight trilogy that Christopher Nolan created. Um, it's so cool. It's so symmetrical though. Like if you look at the bat signal from, from the Nolan films, everything is kind of pristine and perfect. What I love about the, the bat signal and the Batman is that it's super, super messy. I mean, look at it. It is a piece of just like shape, like a, a weirdly shaped piece of metal into like bat wings just shoved into a floodlight. Like, I mean, really look at it. Look at a picture of it uh, if you have a second. I mean, you can see how it's it's so messy, just shoved right in there in between everything. And I think this bat signal is signaling the type of world this Gotham city is. It is a very twisted, messy world. And that messy world is calling out for help. It is calling out for someone to come in and help save the day. Um, that's what the bat signal has always represented in a way. Um, and of course, you know, we have that, 
really infamous voiceover, which again, I did props to Robert Pattinson. I mean, he is without doubt my favorite Batman ever. Um, but as he's doing that voiceover and he, he mentions that the, you know, when that, that, that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. Um, so he even, so for Batman at the start of the story, he sees that signal, um, is kind of two parts. He recognizes the fact that, um, people are calling for him. It's, it's a prayer thrown up against the sky, right? It's, it's this symbolic light in the sky that says we need help. But Batman's also saying, and it's also a warning because it reminds the people who are living in the darkness, who, who are preying on, on others that you better watch out. <laughs> so it, it's kind of this twofold purpose. And I think that that's kind of a reality of who Batman is as a character is. Yes, he is a hero, but he is also there to intimidate the bad guys, to intimidate the bullies of the world. Um, so I just love that design of the bat signal because, again, it's, it's reminding us in this story that this very broken and messy world is in need of help. <laughs> um, it, is, it is the cry of generations of oppressed people. Um, and that's what the bat signal kind of represents here. It's literally throwing up into the, into the heavens a call for help. Um, which leads me then to this sense of uh, there is such a strong prophetic voice in the Batman. And I think that that is most perfectly encapsulated in Selena Kyle's character, brilliantly played by Zoe Kravitz. Selena, um, and, and the reason I choose to call her Selena Kyle is because she's not Catwoman in this movie. I think that's important. It, it, she is just Selena. But Selena is this prophetic voice who is kind of going to shake up Batman's sense of the broken world all around him. For Batman, he's super juvenile at this point. There's good guys and there's bad guys, and I beat up the bad guys. He never stops to think about why the bad guys are often stuck in that world. More often than not, they're people like Selena who are doing their best to survive, survive in a system that is out to just use them. It's not there to help them. It's there to use them. So Selena really makes that clear to Batman. Um, and that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when she, she explains to him his sense, like the privilege that he has and the, the lack of privilege that she has never has always had. Um, so throughout scripture, Prophets are people called by God to reveal and point out the ills of society, um, right? So <laughs> all throughout the Old Testament, God is trying to get the attention of their people back by sending these prophets to say, hey, you're really screwing up. You need to, you need to repent. And the word repentance is often misunderstood. Um, but the Greek for repentance is metanoia, which means turn around. Literally, it's, it's this physical action in, in this sense of repentance. You, you turn away from the ways of darkness and, and reorient yourself towards the light. Um, and who is obviously in, in the words of the prophets, God is contained in the light. Um, so <laughs> kind of going back to the sense that there were angry people in the Bible, uh, here's, here's a great line from 
Amos chapter four, verse one, quote, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us more drinks. <laughs> All, almost every single Old Testament prophet is furious at, at the nation of Israel because it's oppressing people. It's crushing the poor and the needy. Um, and Selena enlightens Batman to that reality that there is this incredible oppression in Gotham because people with incredible privilege are running the world in such a way that it only benefits them and they do anything they can to protect that privilege. And that's a reality in our own world is we have these elites both in, both in our economic sense um, and even in the in religious circles, we have these elitists who do everything they can to protect their power because at the end of the day, that's all they want. Um, but prophets show up always throughout the Old Testament to say, hey, these your corruption is recognized by God and God is pissed. You need to metanoia. You need to change your ways. Um, so I love how Selena is that prophetic voice that – I feel like is the first kind of crack in Batman's armor to the reality of a world he doesn't know. You know, when he's kind of, again, very juvenilely, um, I don't know if that's a word, probably not, but he, when he says about her friend Annika, um, who, you know, who ends up getting killed, uh, he says she made her choices. And Selena's response is, you obviously grew up rich. Choices? And that's a great point. You know, there are so many people in our culture who don't have real sense of choice. Sometimes they are doing everything they can just to survive. Um, and our system often just wants to paint the black and white picture of, well, they're, they're bad guys. And it's like, yeah, but why are they, why are they doing what they do? And that's what Selena teaches Batman is you're out there just pummeling the streets, but have you ever stopped to think about, why these people are in the place they are. So it kind of starts to reorient him. There's almost this moment of repentance for Batman because he, he literally says to Selena, I'm sorry for what I said. I can't say enough how much our, our world is lacking that simple statement. I'm sorry for what I said. You know, especially when evidence is brought to you that's contrary to what you understood before. But Batman is humble enough to understand he didn't know everything and he's willing to change. Um, that's the whole point of a prophet. Selena is a prophet. She points out to Batman, you don't see the full picture. She paints that picture for him. And then like a true person ready to repent, Batman says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I just love that scene. And um, I made this comment on, on our Twitter, uh, I think a week ago, but it's after he says he's sorry. Um, it's shortly after that statement that she kisses him for the first time. And I am, by the way, one of the sexiest scenes in that movie is her first kiss. Zoe Kravitz is just absolutely stunning. Um, and, uh, I think that kiss really represents that there's something really sexy. There's something really attractive about people that can admit when they're wrong. Um, and I think that that's very true. That's part of, it's part of his he, Batman's hero's journey here 
is the fact that he didn't know everything, that he's been wrong about some things. And then there's this commitment to change, to be better. Um, so I, I think like just again, from, from this theological lens, I really love the relationship Selena has with Batman. Um, it is of course not her duty as a person who's been a victim of oppression to teach the privileged about it. But at the same time, she tells her story because that story needs to be told. And Batman is the hero is the hero in this moment because he listens to that story and is willing to let that story reshape how he understands himself and his purpose. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, one other little thing I wanted to, to mention, and this is something from right at the beginning of the movie. Uh, we see when Bruce first goes back to the Batcave, we see that these voiceovers that we've heard at the top of the movie are actually him journaling. He keeps a journal. It's called the Gotham Project, which I think is just brilliant. Um, and I love that we get to see his handwriting. I'm just so impressed with the way Robert Pattinson immersed himself into that role. I feel like even the way he's writing, like the, the when we get to see an image of, of the journal itself, like look at his handwriting, like it's aggressive, even the way he writes is aggressive and dark and it's a black pen with very bold lettering. Um, he, he writes angry. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think this simple fact of him keeping a journal of it highlights the importance of writing down some of our experiences, writing down big things that happen in our life so that we can reflect on them more fully. Um, he's out there. It's, I mean, it's called the Gotham project. It's something ongoing. So he's keeping tabs on himself and what he's doing um, so that he can, can sit with those reflections and really think more deeply about it. Um, I think any good, spiritual guide will will tell you the importance of in some ways keeping a journal of experiences keeping a journal of of things that are going on in your life so that you can revisit them i mean it's something i do i keep a i literally keep a prayer journal and then it becomes the tool by which i sit down and reflect on things that are going on in my life um, so that i can um, understand them better and and let them really sink into who i am um, my my favorite saint of all time is St. Ignatius. Uh, he's the founder of the Jesuit order. And St. Ignatius was a huge proponent of whenever you have a profound experience, revisit it as often as you can, whether that means writing it down and rereading it or just spending time thinking about it and ruminating over it and letting that experience really digest into your, into your person so that you can better live out the lesson of those experiences. Um, this is exactly why I watch the same movies over and over and over again is because when there's something I really love and case in point is the new Batman, I like to see it as often as I can so that the truths that I'm finding in that story can continually be digested in my being so that I can better live out the lessons that are moving me in these stories. People have been doing that with scripture for 2000 years plus. So I think approaching movies that way is, is it can be a profound way of really reflecting and digesting on the lessons that are contained. Um, so Bruce himself is doing that as <laughs> with his Gotham project diary. Um, something else I want to point out, uh, and this is actually how the movie starts musically is with this beautiful rendition of Ave Maria. 
Um, and the Riddler's theme in the movie, his musical theme that Michael Giacchino wrote, is a rendition of Ave Maria. Again, um, I don't I don't have the expertise of a David W. Collins to to accurately say this, but my guess is almost that it's the Riddler theme is Ave Maria, but maybe just played in a minor key or something, because um, it, it is it is very dark and haunting. Um, yeah, here let's let's listen to it for a sec. Right, it's very it's very haunting. I mean, it's almost like a a, a horror movie, um, but it's so fascinating to know that it's 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 a take on Ave Maria, um, and I think that that's intentional because the Riddler. I th- he doesn't see himself as the villain. Of course, no villain ever sees himself as the villain. He is the hero of his own story. And for the Riddler, um, the opening of this movie, seemed, we see some nuns walking. And as we learn later on, like he, he was raised in an orphanage. And, you know, just traditionally speaking, a lot of orphanages are run by um, religious institutions. So the fact that the Riddler's theme is this twisted version of Ave Maria Riddler is similar to the Batman in the sense that he understands how broken and disgusting Gotham is. Um, But unlike the Batman's commitment to hopefully help reform it, the Riddler wants to eradicate the the cancerous cells, if you will. Um, Riddler almost sees himself as someone who's on a holy quest. Um, It's his holy mission to destroy the lives of the people at the top of this corruption chain. Um, and again, as you know, as I made the point earlier, um, you know, part of Batman's purpose is of course to confront these, these broken systems and the people who are running them. But of course, as we all know, the one thing Batman will never do is kill. Um, he's just sort you know, that's just something he, he won't do. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, as much as the Batman has always been a dark character, the fact that he doesn't kill, I think, tells us everything we need to know about him, which for Batman, he doesn't believe that anyone is irredeemable. Now, granted, he doesn't seem to have a a smile on his face in in a very hopeful way in that regard. But the fact that he won't kill, I feel like, is his way of always holding out hope that maybe some way this person could be reformed. could be, <laughs> uh, could be, you know, transformed into somebody better. Um, but I think the fact that the Riddler sees himself on a holy quest um, shows the problem of what I would call toxic religion. Um, and again, as I stated at the beginning, I, I can mostly just speak to this this reality in, in the Christian world and context because that's what I know and what I've studied. Um, but there is a lot of toxic Christianity out there. And what do I mean by toxic Christianity? I mean, tox- anything, any religion is toxic if it marginalizes people, um, espouses violence against, against certain types of people. Um, anything like that is purely heretical, in my opinion, um, because religion is meant to serve humanity. Um, it is meant to cultivate a fuller life for people. So when religions start to marginalize and hurt people, um, 
it's failing as a religion. But this sense of toxicity that exists in so many modern forms of Christianity, um, not only does it do violence to people, but it also empowers people to do violence. Because that's what the Riddler feels empowered to do. He feels empowered to act out violently because of this toxic sense of of uh, holiness, really. Um, and again, I think this is an important critique that a lot of American Christianity must face is the fact that it's very toxic and therefore quite heretical. Whenever a Christian tradition promotes this idea that God does not love or God hates fill in the blank, that religion is a heresy, pure and simple, especially from a Christian context. God never does violence to people. And in fact, the only time in all of scripture that we're ever said God hates is we are told several times throughout the Old Testament, God hates the acts of injustice. That's the only thing God hates is injustice. Um, so as much as many people hate the expression social justice warrior, God's the OG at that. Um, so again, Riddler mobilizes this toxic sense of what it means to be holy um, and inflicts that toxicity on, on the, the world around him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Riddler is a very powerful cautionary character, right? Like he is not inherently evil. I actually just finished reading this uh, prequel novel to the Batman movie. Um, it's, it's actually written for kids, but it was a really cool backstory. It's, it kind of gives us some of the backstory to, to Bruce and to the Riddler. And essentially what we learn, with, and all of this is implied by the Riddler in the movie when he's telling Batman and Arkham kind of his story. But what's very clear is he was, he was an orphan at a very young age and he's been abused through much, almost all of his life. Um, and the book kind of highlights some of the abuse he faced. Um, so again, just like Batman, he's coming out of a place of trauma. Um, but for whatever reason, he chooses to use that trauma to enact violence. So his sense of a holy war is is just wrong um but yeah i i just i just love that piece that riddler is also trying to answer quote the prayers of the people um he's just doing it wrong and he's and it's because he's been mobilized by very toxic voices um so just a just a reminder to anyone who is listening if if you are part of um, a religious community that marginalizes and, and violently speaks about any sort of person, any sort of person. And I, I mean that in s such a broad way. Um, it might be time to just reevaluate if that, if that is the, if that's the right space to be in. Um, so uh, moving on another character who I think represents uh, a really interesting dynamic in this story is Bella Riel. Um, of course, who who is elected the new mayor of Gotham towards the end of the movie. And we see her posters throughout the movie, all through Gotham, right? All of her posters that they and they they remind me a lot of some of Obama's early posters when he when he was first running. Um, and and what Obama did very brilliantly is he mobile he mobilized hope. He mobilized the fact that people people that were feeling ignored and they wanted a hopeful future. 
And they hoped that somebody like him could represent that. So I think it's really intelligent how the designers for this movie make Bella Real's posters all throughout the city with just the simple phrase, real change, right? She's trying to represent a new way for Gotham to go forward. And I, and, and at the end of the movie, um, she, you know, gives this beautiful speech at, you know, after all the flooding has happened and everything, she's standing there in front of, I believe city hall. I could be wrong. Um, but making this really powerful statement about how we need to help people regain their faith in Gotham and regain their faith in institutions, their elected officials. Um, she's like, and she ends it by saying, we need to believe in Gotham again. Right. I think she understands that there is something beautiful about the city. Um, I'd love to learn more about Bella Real. Um, and hopefully in the sequel, hope again, really hoping we get a sequel to this movie. Hopefully we get to see some of her real change um, taking shape in the city. Um, but she does. She represents something new. She represents a new voice in Gotham. At the beginning of the movie, when Mayor Mitchell is, is watching their debate on TV, it's very clear he represents this kind of conservative voice of no, we just need to keep, we need to keep things the way they are. The system, it it works. It's, it's good. It's, it's, it's helping people, but she represents a different reality and says, no, it, she says, you know, we've been renewing for 20 years. It's time for something new. And again, that's mayor Mitchell as a, as a very privileged individual is not capable of seeing beyond his blinders. Um, and, he wants to just preserve the way things Gotham, the way things in Gotham have always been. But the problem with that is the way things have always been in Gotham hasn't been for the benefit of everybody, not by a long shot. So Bella Real represents something new. Um, and particularly that quote, you know, again, that she says in her clo- like that closing speech of hers in the movie about people needing to regain their faith in these institutions. <laughs> I think that's, that's a huge bat signal at, again, so many American Christian churches today. Um, people have lost their faith in organized religion. There's no doubt about it. I mean, as, as many of you know, I was you know, a college chaplain for several years and looking at the, just the demographics of students who identify religiously. And granted, yes, it's a small college, so it's not, it's not a, a, a huge representation of, of the country as a whole. But I think in a small way, it does point out the fact that more and more young people aren't prescribing to religions. Um, the, maj- the vast majority of students that were coming in that filled out that demographic information were religiously non-affiliated or nuns, agnostic, some were atheist. But there has been this profound shift away from organized religion because so many organized religions have abused people. I mean, obviously, case in point is the Catholic Church's sex abuse scandal that continually continues to break open and it's disgusting the church's pathetic response to it Um, absolute ignorance of what repentance should look like Um, and as a result people have flocked away but as obviously many of you must insinuate (laughs) probably into it i think that organized religions do have a really beautiful place to play they do have an importance in our world but the thing is is we need to start reimagining what it means to be a church in the new world um a church that really is present to people in a, in a more powerful way, in a far less judgmental way for, for starters. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm part of a church community myself. 
um, in Boston here that is constantly working to reimagine what it means to be church and being a more faithful community of um, people that believe in a God who's still alive and is doing work in the world. Um, so yeah, Bella Riel, this, this, the, the, her whole platform represents this need for change for something on a more, on a very fundamental level, not just keep putting band-aids over the, the broken cracks, but actually getting at the root of what's really the problem and reimagining how to be Gotham city. Um, so in a, in a similar way to Selena, Bella Real is also a prophetic voice in this movie. Um, so the, the last bit of things I want to talk about all come from the end of the end of the movie. Um, and again, if you've not seen the movie, um, these might have a little bit more spoilers than earlier. Um, but the movie takes a huge turn with, uh, that the ending of that movie where Batman has just been pummeling this person who was threatening Selena. And when that, that individual is unmasked, he says, I'm vengeance. And that's when it clicks for Batman. Oh shoot. I've been doing this wrong. Like I, I really am. I am having a very negative impact. Um, I am encouraging people just to be vengeance. Um, and that's a problem. And so we see Batman's kind of profound change of heart. Um, and again, the brilliance of Michael Giacchino's score, the, the title of this track is The Bat's True Calling. Um, so I'm going to play this piece just really quickly and just pay attention again. Giacchino brilliantly uses bells, but they aren't the death bells that rang for Batman earlier in the movie. They're they're more of these heralding bells, heralding the coming of a hero. So this is that moment at the end of the movie when Batman really steps into the role as a hero. Uh, he cuts that power line that saves all those people down in the water um, from being killed, um, puts his own life at risk. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very savior moment. He is that savior that Gotham is so desperately in need of. Um, and then, probably one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie and it has made me tear up to different degrees but tear up all the same every time i've watched this is when he breaks out that um that flare and then goes back into the water he goes back in to help free this people that are trapped under this mess i mean it can't get any more literal than that he literally saves a group of people from being crushed um from being oppressed by this immense weight pressing down around them batman pulls them out um and of course the, the first hand that takes him is a child right we time and time and time again throughout the gospels jesus praises children being childlike this and, and what he means by that isn't always being a little kid but the sensibility of a child to just openly trust, um, to openly trust 
the good things that show up in your life. And that's, you know, again, it's beautiful because he sees that boy at the beginning who's clearly experienced the same type of trauma he has. Um, but that boy is just so quick to trust in something so, sort of supernatural. Like, let's be real. Batman is kind of supernatural. Yes, he's a human. But when he puts, when Bruce puts that armor on, he becomes a supernatural force. And of course, it's a child who's quick to trust it. Um, so as Batman carries that torch and leads the people out, I mean, he's once again, literally lighting the way to safety. Um, you know, and there's that extremely poignant line in, in the gospel of John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life, right? Uh, this, this understanding Jesus's sense of himself is one that he calls people into relationship with him so that they can have a full life so they can live more fully. Um, Batman is that light who carries following him into safety, following him into the light. Um, And, you know, that's, that's what we get then is the very next scene um, is, is daylight. It's one of, it's the only time in this movie that Batman is fully in the daylight. Um, and we get that beautiful shot on the horizon. It's probably my favorite shot in the movie. And I, I, when this shot was included in the the final trailer, I was like, I know I'm going to love this movie. But we see Batman carrying a younger woman to safety. And he is silhouetted against the rising sun. Um, I mean, this is he is he is physically representing um the song of Zechariah from the gospel of Luke, where we look to the dawn, God, God's justice will break like a new day, like the dawn of a new day. Batman is that dawn. He represents the coming of something new to this broken world. Um, so we get a final voiceover from Batman and he, the quote that I find most poignant is he says, quote, people need hope to know someone is out there for them. This is so true. <laughs> this is, I think this is what so many people are in need of, especially in light of the last couple of years that have been incredibly hard, um, is people need hope. People need to know they're not alone. Um, and Batman coming to that sense of realization that he needs to, he also says, I must become more. Um, he must become more than vengeance is what he's saying is he has to, he has to become that hope and become this inspiration to people to be willing to, to fight beyond the traumas they've experienced, to, to take the scars that we've been handed and make them into something better. Um, and again, I don't, I don't mean this to imply that like, Oh, if you've been traumatized, it's your job. It's your mission to overcome that. That's not what I'm implying here. And I don't even think that's what Batman is saying is he's saying that those of us who survive those scars, um, really put in the work to surviving those scars, they can transform us again. Batman represents transformation in this movie. He himself is transformed and he wants to inspire that transformation in others by being there in the dirt with people. So again, at the start of the movie, he's in the shadows. He's in the darkness, only preying on the forces of dark. But people need to see him in the light. They need to see him rescuing. They need to see him saving people. Um, and that is the encapsulation of 
the whole story of incarnation, this idea of God becoming human, obviously in, in the person of Jesus. Um, but in, in that opening chapter of, of John's gospel, he says that God pitched, pitched their tent among us. So God chooses to be in the dirt here, not to ma- not to wave a magical wand and make the world perfect and all better because God respects freedom of choice, but rather to be here in the dirt with us to know that we are never alone in that. And that's why I love that shot of the Batman as he's, as he's looking up as that woman is being carried away. He's looking up into the heavens, almost as if he's being anointed in this moment and he's covered in dirt and mud. He's filthy. He's broken and angry, just like the city that he was raised in and the city that hurt him. But he is standing up proud as the hero in this moment, understanding that his purpose as the Batman, his calling, if you will, his vocation as the Batman is to save people, to inspire them, to give them hope and to remind them that they're not alone in the dark, that he's there with them. He's there fighting for them. Um, Yeah, I think this beautifully matches up to what Rose Tico says in Last Jedi. You know, that's how we win, not by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. I think that's a lesson that Batman has definitely taken to heart. Maybe Matt Reeves saw that movie and took that lesson to heart as well. And it kind of employed that in this in this story of Batman. Um, He starts the story as just the voice of vengeance, just there to beat people up. But by the end, he understands that vengeance won't fix anything that it's okay to be angry because being angry gives you the courage to fight, but make sure you're fighting the right places. Make sure you're fighting the right fight. Make sure you're fighting the fight for, for the little guy. That's really what Batman represents in this movie. Um, and then the last couple of things I, I want to highlight, uh, I want to highlight the fact that Selena is a hero in this movie as well. Um, and not just because she she shows up there at the end to rescue Batman because he's about to get shot in the face, um, but she and, and not just because she enlightens Batman to the bigger reality of of the world he doesn't understand. But I think her most heroic moment is at the end of the movie when she decides to leave Gotham. She has been so hurt by this place that she doesn't think it's redeemable, and she just needs to go. And I love how she says to Batman, you asking me to stay? And he doesn't say anything. I mean, Grand, yes, he's not a man of many words in the movie, <laughs> which obviously that's Batman. But the fact that he doesn't ask her to stay, he doesn't ask her in any way to compromise what she needs to do for herself. And this is what she needs to do herself. The heroic act here for, for Selena is leaving the, the abusive space. Um, and I think Selena in that moment represents the fact that people are heroic when they leave situations that hurt them, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a church, whether that's some sort of institutional system, it takes tremendous courage to walk away from something that has hurt you um, and walk away knowing that that's what's best for you. So Selena, her final moment in this movie is to be a hero to walk away from the thing that hurt her. Um, and what I love again is Batman doesn't ask her to stay. He respects that this is the choice she needs to make, but she also respects his decision to stay. 
Because then she invites him. Why don't you come with me? We could have a great life together, which certainly they could. Um, but then she notices him looking at the bat signal again, that, that call from the heavens. And she says, who am I kidding? You're already spoken for. And then she nods to it very, just very sensually. Go on, go to him. Or she says, ah, crap. I wish I remembered the exact line. I'm embarrassed. I forgot it, but she says, go on something like that. But she encourages him. All right, this is what you want to do. It's probably going to kill you, but this is what you feel called to cool. You stay. Um, and it just shows that she, even though they both have different paths, they equally respect why they each take the path. She can't stay here. That's heroic for her. And Batman recognizes that and honors that she recognizes that he does want to stay, that he does have this privilege that will allow him to help. And I think she really respects his will to stay and help. Um, so they're both heroes in both of their decisions. Um, and then it's also obviously very bittersweet there at the ending. It's it's so bittersweet that they can't ride off into the sunset together. It's so cool. Like the music there is so beautiful that Giacchino gives us. He gives us Batman's hero theme as he and Catwoman drive off. But then they come to that fork in the road and take their separate paths. But I love that Matt Reeves gives us that close-up of Batman's face on the motorcycle as he watches his rearview mirror. He's looking in the rearview mirror as Selina kind of disappears off into the distance. There's a real cost for him. There's a real cost to being a hero for both of them because I feel like they both want to, in a way, be together. Um, but there is a cost to being a hero. Um, and uh, this is something Jesus was very adamant about, this, this reality of taking up your cross to follow after him. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, we are told, quote, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is a particular text that has been in, improperly understood for probably a long time. It's the sense that, oh, you should always make sacrifices because sacrifices in and of themselves are holy. Not true. The, the invitation there from Jesus is to say, when you find, when you find the way you're supposed to love in the world, go after that with everything you've got, even if that means turning other things away. Um, so, because of life's circumstances, not allowing the bat and the cat to stay there together, they have to take the cost of, of doing what they need to do to be the hero, to go the direction that they feel called to go. Um, and there's a cost to that. And it's, it's not trying to imply that, oh, in order to follow, you have to pay this price as if it's something transactional. It is not transactional. It's just the actual reality that when you give yourself so fully to a project that you love or a person that you love so fully, there's a cost in the sense that you're saying no to other things um, because that's what life is. Life is a series of choices. And um, the lesson we're being taught here from Batman and Catwoman going their separate ways is the reality that when you, when you really find what your purpose is in life, when you really find your person in life or whoever that or however that might take shape, there's probably going to be a cost to it. But we are told that it's, it's as much as it's a hard cost, it's always going to be worth it because you're throwing yourself, you're, you're, you're losing yourself in something beautiful and wonderful.
And that's the lesson of this story is the Batman who starts in the, the, the void, the formless chaos of darkness has found his guiding light. He has found what, what his calling is to be the hero. He's found out who he is. Um, and he's going to go after that, even if it comes at a price. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I got for you. I went a lot longer than I was expecting. Um, but if, if you're still with me, thank you for stay, sticking around. Uh, the yeah, this is this has been really fun to just kind of put on that hat of mine and that theology hat and and think a little more deeply about this movie because again, I I really think that you know this this new Batman movie is such such a brilliant movie. It has so much to teach us. It has so much to teach us about the importance of putting in the work to, to address and to face um, the traumas we've faced, but also having the sense of hope that not only can it get better, it will get better. And we always have a purpose, no matter how much we've been hurt. We, we each have a purpose that, that is, invited into um, giving more to the world. Um, and that's what the Batman represents. And that's why I love it. So again, if you've been with me this whole time, thank you so much. Uh, this has been really fun for me. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, you can you know, DM us on Twitter at Wampuslair. You can DM me on our Instagram, the Wampuslair. You can even email us at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. But that's going to do it for this special episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast, The Theology of the Batman. I am, as always, your host, Carl LeClaire, and we look forward to seeing you here next week at the Wampus Lair.